Gracious Father, we come before you to worship. What we do now is countercultural. We declare that you are God and we are not. And we believe that this book that we're about to read, that though those who wrote it have died, it still lives and still speaks for it's breathed out by you and useful for teaching and reproof and correcting and training in righteousness, that it may have its effect and that is to bring us to maturity in Christ. And so we ask that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would speak now through me and through your word and transform our hearts and minds. In Christ Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, it is a privilege. I can't tell you how much of a privilege it is to be the preacher of the vacant pulpit. I'm not exactly sure what that means. Uh, I think Dr. Thomas and Dr. Stewart conspired perhaps to put someone between them that would make them look like the world-class preachers they are. (laughs) Either way, we have a wonderful passage for us this morning, Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2, one of my favorite texts, and a great text as we leave the last year and begin to move towards 2024. It's page 1008 in your pew Bibles, page 1008. Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2, let's give attention to God's word. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Thanks be to God for his holy and errant and therefore authoritative word. Life feels like a race, doesn't it? Maybe as you reflect on your last year, you start to think about the races that you've run, the obstacles that you've uh, overcome, the successes that you've had. My life in 2023 was characterized by a race that I did not finish. On August 1st of 2023, I took my family to an Atlanta Braves game. And being the good husband and father that I am, I was throwing baseball with my then seven-year-old son outside the stadium. The kids are having a great time. My wife is happy. When a lady in a red dress approached me, and that should have been my warning sign, (laughs) she asked me, would you like to race the freeze tonight? The Freeze is a track star who dresses up in a costume and runs the warning track at the Atlanta Braves Stadium. He, uh, it's a 160-meter race. I am a 43-year-old washed-up dad of four who hasn't run a sprint in 15 years. And so I did what any good dad would do. I said, yes, of course. I should have known from the look on my wife's face that that was a poor decision. Somewhere around the sixth inning, I get a phone call, meet me in center field. I'll spare you some of the details. But as I burst out of the gates, 45,000 people cheering for me. (laughs) I thought to myself for just a moment, maybe the former glory will show up. (laughs) What I had forgotten was there was never a former glory when it came to running (laughs) past grade school for me. I made it three-fourths of the way around the track, and as I lay in the dirt... The cheers had gone from cheers to ooze. (laughs) And the freeze hurtled me like I didn't exist. My quad had said, 
This is where your race ends. I thought to myself, how did I get in this situation? How do I find myself here? Couldn't someone else have run in my stead? Could I go back and start over? Shouldn't I have just listened to my wife? And life feels like that sometimes, doesn't it? You run, you fall, you get back up, you wish you could start over, you wish you could get out of the race altogether, you wish someone could run for you. Life is a race. And as we think about the year ahead, this really is a great text for us. We've been thinking, rightfully so, throughout the Christmas season of Emmanuel, God with us. And this is a text of many that helps us begin to think about not only that Christ is with us, but Christ is for us. Christ is for us. And as we think about that reality, it influences then and motivates us as we run our race. Two points for us this morning. First, an enduring people. And secondly, an enduring Savior. Here in verse 1, an enduring people. Let's, let's set the context just a little bit if you haven't read Hebrews lately. Hebrews is a, a book that is called an epistle. It reads more like a sermon, possibly from a preacher to his people but we don't know who that preacher or that writer is. It could be Paul, could be Apollos, could be Barnabas, Luke, Clement of Rome. There's been all kinds of different ideas. He was someone that was taught by the disciples. Hebrews 2 says he was accepted within that circle as a writer who was writing scripture. It was canonical from the very earliest of ages. And Origen would refer to it as a book that we may never understand who wrote, but we know ultimately that the Holy Spirit wrote it. To his church. It's written either from Palestine to Rome or from Rome to Palestine. As in chapter 13, those from Italy send their greeting. Are they sending their greeting back to Rome? Are they sending their greeting from Rome? We don't really know, but in either place, there are Jewish Christians. And Jewish Christians at the time are undergoing some level of persecution. It wasn't quite to the level that it would be under Emperor Nero because they, they have not shed blood yet, chapter 13 says. So it's probably pre-64, prior to the temple being torn down, prior to Nero reigning. But either way, they're experiencing suffering and Jews themselves would have had certain privileges in the Roman Empire so long as they stay faithful to the Roman Empire. But Christians had no such privileges. They were shunned and rejected. They were seen as pagans. They were atheists because they didn't worship the pantheon. And so they could be persecuted. Well, these Jews have now joined their ranks. They believed upon Christ. They've become Christians. And what they're tempted to do is go back to the old way because things have gotten hard. And so the author of Hebrews writes them and he spends 10 chapters telling them why Christ is greater than the old way. He's superior to the angels. He's superior to Moses. He's superior to the high priest. He's superior to Melchizedek. He's superior to the old covenant and on and on and on. And so why would you ever reject him and go back? Sometimes life happens like that, doesn't it? When the, the glitter of our conversion fades just a little bit the excitement of our conversion maybe waxes and wanes and we face hardship and and the charms of this world begin to glitter before our eyes of prestige and acceptance within the world if we'll just go back a little bit and so we think maybe if I just downshift a little or maybe if I just tap the brakes or perhaps some of you have turned off the ignition altogether 
And the author of Hebrews is writing to that context. It sounds a bit like Psalm 1 to us, where the author there says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is upon the law of the Lord, and on this law he, he delights day and night. It is this picture of the way in which sometimes we think, well, it can't be that bad to just take a little walk with the world, just to kind of walk about and listen to their worldview and listen to what they have to offer. And before we know it, we've stopped and we've said, you know what, that's pretty appealing. Maybe I'll take that in. And soon we've actually sat with the world and turned back, the psalmist says, and we're actually scoffing the very one we used to claim we were, the Christian. It's a slow progression. In our time, it's deconstruction, it's deconversion. They're all the rage, they're the cool thing to do. But it was no different then. This was the thing the Jews were facing as well, these Jewish Christians, they had the opportunity here. It was tempting to have religion and have the world so long as you leave Christ out of it. You can have a little bit of both if you leave Christ out of it. And so the author of Hebrews not only has told them how wonderful Christ is, don't go back, but now he said, perhaps though, perhaps you know that, but you really feel all alone in your journey. And it's hard. And he says, well, let's do this. If we could pull back the veil between this, this life and the next, even this morning, what would we see? We would see, verse one, that we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. He's paraded those witnesses before them in Hebrews 11 already, the great hall of faith. He's told them of people who have said, no, I'm longing for that world. I won't settle for this world. In fact, I would rather be persecuted as Moses was with my people than enjoy the fleeting pleasures of the flesh. If you were to pull back the veil right now, what would you see? You would see witnesses, marturon, that great word from which we get the word martyr. You would see witnesses who have witnessed for the truth, who've gone before you, some even witnessing to the point of death, cheering you on, championing you and saying, keep going, you're almost there. It reminds me of one of my favorite memories early in our marriage when Sarah ran, my wife ran the uh, Kiowa Half Marathon, my wife who actually can run. And I was wiser back then. I did not decide to run. I rented a bike and rode next to her and encouraged her along the way. I played my role. And as I did that, what I noticed was people came to their, the end of their driveway and they set up chairs and they cheered on the runners and bands played and they cheered on the runners. Maybe you've had this experience if you run a half marathon or a marathon. All of it an endeavor to say, look, we know it's hard. We can't even, we're on the sidelines. We can't imagine how hard it is. But perhaps we've even done this before. We know what you're going through. You can do it. The finish line's just right over there. Keep going. Keep going. Don't stop. It's like sandstorm playing in the arena at williams Bryce. This The author actually would have had an arena in mind, cheering on the athletes it's like sandstorm playing and you see the team get going and get motivated or whatever it is that they do at Clemson I'm sure they cheer on their team I actually made a, a disparaging comment about Clemson in the early service and a young child found me at the door and said you know what we do at Clemson I said no I said we win <laughs> walked me right into it I never even saw it coming nailed me either way what an encouragement that would be right 
They're cheering for you. They're spurring you on. They're saying, you can do it. You can finish when you feel all alone and just plodding along in a life of faithfulness at work, in the city, at home, unappreciated, unnoticed in your mind. And the scripture says, no, the saints notice. They're watching you. They're with you. And they're cheering you on and saying, don't stop, keep going. But if we're gonna run this race with endurance, we need to do a few things. And the scripture says here, first, we, we need to lay aside every weight. The picture here is of a weight that would maybe have weighed down a warrior that he wants to throw off and be able to fight unencumbered or more likely the robe that a, a, a man would have worn that he would have stripped himself of that he might run the race. He would have run naked so that he had nothing to encumber him. We need to take everything off that would hinder us from the race. It could be sin, but it could also be things that aren't necessarily sins. They're just not helping us grow. Maybe it's a relationship with someone who doesn't spur you along in the faith, but actually tears you down or tells you what's the point or why do this when you can have this or why not just stop running this race? It seems hard and exhausting for you and life's supposed to be about you just being happy all the time. Or maybe it's social media and you just sort of scroll numbingly, lose your ability to think and your brain to lock down on things. Or as you do it, you, you find that all you see is how beautiful everybody else's life is, how happy they are, how connected they are, and you just feel within yourself ugly, disconnected, unhappy. It's stunting your growth. And the author of Hebrews says, throw it off because you can't run with that stuff. And then he says, and also lay aside the sin which clings so closely. Here it definitely is sin, but it's not just a general sin that anyone could commit. What, what Hebrews is pointing at here is what are the sins in your life that you're most likely to regularly struggle with? They're called besetting sins. The sins that you know that you struggle with regularly, perhaps daily, and you need to lay those aside. You need to fight those and put them down because they're stunting your growth in Christ. They're hindering you from really running the race. They're putting you down in the dirt and you need to get back up. Maybe it's your lust. Maybe it's your pride. Maybe it's your tongue, gossip and slander. Maybe it's envy or covetousness of your neighbor. Maybe it's easy for you to compromise in order to find acceptance with the world. And the scriptures are saying, no, get rid of all that stuff that ensnares you, that distracts you, that clings so closely to you, and that is actually hindering your race. It says, John Owen tells us, be killing sin or it will be killing you. There's no neutral ground in that endeavor. There's a war going on. And we must be killing sin or it will be killing us. And then, after we've done that, we continue to run with endurance the race that's set before us. The reality is that every one of us have a race to run, individually. And no one can run it for you. Not your parents, not your spouse, not your children, not your church, not your preacher. No one can run it for you. No one can believe for you. You must believe upon Christ and follow him in obedience. No one can run it for you. And no one says, not the saints of old, not the ones cheering you on, not even Christ himself, no one says that it'll be easy. In fact, Christ says, 
that you must deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. But we are to be an enduring people. And you say, okay, that's, that's great. You're, you're telling me to run a race and it's a new year and that's wonderful. And I even have people cheering me on, but I need more than that. In fact, I, I've been battling these besetting sins for my whole life, it seems. And most days it feels like I go more backwards than forwards. I need help. Well, look no further than verse two where we have an enduring savior looking to Christ the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Hebrews has already told us that we have a savior who understands us. We don't have a high priest, chapter four says, who's unacquainted with our weaknesses, but one who's been tempted in every way and yet without sin. He gets us, he knows us. He's not just Jesus with us, although he is. He's Jesus for us. He understands us. He came and lived life for us. He was, as the confession said, born of a low estate, under the law, under the miseries of this life. He underwent what we went through. Even in our offertory this morning, we read, he knows our need to our weakness. He is no stranger. That's the Christ that we have. In fact, I think that's why the author uses the word Jesus, his earthly name, instead of Christ, his messianic title. He's helping us understand he was a human just like you. He understands what you're going through. He gets you. He loves you. He lived for you. And he had a race to run. It's not the same race that we had to run. He had a different race to run. It was one that we'll never run. It was a race that he also had to endure. Same word, hupomenein, to bear up under adversity he had to bear up under the adversity of the race that he ran and the race that he ran was to the cross despising its shame as he hung there naked and people came and mocked him and scorned him and said if you're the son of God pull yourself down from that cross as he bore for himself the sin that he never committed we're so well acquainted with sin we've sinned this morning that it doesn't even really prick us at times the way it should Jesus was sinless he never sinned and now he is bearing upon himself the sins of all of his people past present and future upon the cross but even more he's drinking to the final dregs the unmitigated wrath of God He's experiencing the wrath that we should experiencing. He's doing for us what we could not do for ourselves, but what we should deserve to do for ourselves. He's drinking that cup of wrath that we might drink of the cup of blessing. And that's why Paul's able to say in 2 Corinthians 5, for our sake, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I wonder if this morning you are carrying a weight of sin. Maybe you're carrying guilt and shame that you feel like you carry every day, all day. Or maybe you have tried once again this morning, knowing what last night looked like actually, to clean yourself up, to look good before this seemingly godly group of people. Or maybe you've just decided that you're done with the fight. You've battled these besetting sins they seem to keep beating you. You can't win. Why not give up? And, and even more, why not just give in to them wholeheartedly and go that direction? 
what I'd say to you this morning is that Jesus died for sinners like you and like me. And what that tells us is that your and my sin is absolutely despicable. It's so disgusting that it's worthy of death and the wrath of God, but also he's so gracious. And he pours out his mercy upon us because he poured out his wrath upon Christ. What wonderful news for us this morning. John Calvin in his Institutes of the Christian Religion in book two speaks of or writes about how Christ has accomplished this work for us in his playing the, being the redeemer uh, to us. And he writes this, this is our acquittal. The guilt that held us liable for punishment has been transferred to the head of the son of God. We must above all remember this substitution. He became our substitute. Why must we remember this? And this is where Calvin gets pastoral. Why does it matter that we remember that he died in our stead, lived in our stead, lest we tremble and remain anxious throughout life? As if God's righteous vengeance, which the Son of God has taken upon himself, still hung over us. Some of you live as if God's righteous vengeance still hangs over you. And some of you have God's righteous vengeance still hanging over your head and you live like you don't. And for each of you, the message this morning is, hurl yourself upon Christ and he will take the righteous vengeance upon himself that you might only get his righteousness and his blessing. He endured the cross, he despised the shame. Why did he do this? Well, the text tells us he did it for joy and for glory. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. The joy of perfect obedience to the Father, he did it. The joy of fulfilling the mission for which he was sent, he did it. The joy of receiving the glory due his name and the joy of bringing many sons to glory, you and me. He rescued us. He did it for the joy set before him. And what does he receive for this perfect obedience? He receives the glory that's due his name. He is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. He's seated because his substitute, his sacrifice is accepted by a holy God. And he's at the right hand of God because that's the place of dominion and glory. And he will receive the glory due his name because every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. And you say, well, that's wonderful news. Christ is for us. That's great theology, but apply it to me. And I would say, of theology always applies to you. But also, Jesus didn't do this in some abstract way. He did it for you. He is the founder and the perfecter of our faith. He's the archegos, he's the, he's the pioneer, he's the forerunner, he's the one who blazed the trail for you that the way of salvation may be clear. And not only so, he's the one that continues to blaze the trail so that you might run the race with endurance. He's the perfecter of our faith. He's the perfect example of our faith. He perfectly believed, even on our behalf, that we might look to him in faith and be declared righteous. He is the one who began a good work in you and will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. He will blaze the trail that you might run your race. But how do you run your race? Yes, you you throw off weight. Yes, you throw off sin. But most importantly, you look to Jesus. 
Literally, you fix your eyes on Jesus. Here, it's a present active participle. That is, it's, it's something that we are ongoingly doing. We don't just do it once. Certainly, we look to Christ for faith and are justified at one point in history. But here, the verb is to continue running your race. You continually look to Christ. If you look to the right or the left, if you look down, if you look back, if you think of something other than the goal, you might fall. It happens to runners all the time. Case in point. You don't do that. No, you fix your gaze upon Christ, the one who loves you, the one who gave himself for you, the one who lived for you, the one who died for you, the one who even now lives to intercede for you at the right hand of the throne of God, the one who promised he would not leave you as an orphan, but instead would give you his Holy Spirit to now transform you that you would not be conformed to the ways of the world, but transform more and more to the image of Christ so that when he appears in glory, you also will appear in glory and you will look like him. What a marvelous picture. Do you, do you remember what Luke said about Jesus in Luke 9? It's in verse 53, it's, it's the pivot point for Luke of Jesus' ministry up in Galilee and now he's turning his focus towards the passion and what he'll do in Jerusalem. And Luke says this, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. Literally, he set his face like flint, like a rock, like an immovable stone. He had a mission to accomplish and nothing could derail him from that mission. What was in Jerusalem? It was the death that he would die on the cross. It was the race that he would endure. It was the finish line for him. He set his face like flint to Jerusalem for joy, for glory, for you and for me. And then Hebrews here is telling us in a sense that we're to do exactly the same thing. We're not, we're not setting our face like Flint to, to Jerusalem or to the cross, but rather we are setting our face in an undistracted way, in an unhindered way, like Flint immovably set upon the Lord Jesus Christ. That we might know him, that we might know what he's done for us. That as verse three will go on to say, we might consider him, deliberate upon him, meditate upon him. Why? The one who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you, why, may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Races are hard. You grow weary. You get faint-hearted. You wanna quit. You wanna go backwards. You wanna get out of the race. You wanna throttle down. You wanna press eject. You wanna turn off the ignition. You wanna quit. And the author of Hebrews is saying, no, don't do that. Look to Jesus. Are you discouraged this morning? Are you exhausted? Do you feel like getting out of the fight? Do you feel like exiting the race? Do you feel like what's the point of a New Year's resolution? I know I'm not gonna fulfill it anyways do you feel like quitting altogether have you lost your motivation to run the race with endurance Hebrews here the Lord says fix your eyes upon Jesus hear the crowds chanting you can do it keep going one more moment one more day one more month one more near year you're nearer to Christ's return than you've ever been you're nearer to glory than you've ever been. Fix your eyes upon Christ. Know the power of the Holy Spirit that works mightily within you, the same power that raised Christ from the dead and keep going. Do as the old hymn tells us to do. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light 
of his glory and grace. Let's pray. Gracious Father, thank you for your holy word. Thank you that you've given us everything we need for life and godliness. Thank you that Christ ran the race for us to purchase our salvation. Now help us be those who throw off weights, who throw off sin that clings so closely and run the race marked out before us with endurance, looking to Jesus, never looking away. Would you do it and get all the glory in Christ's name? Amen.